Welcome to Social Distance Assistance. I'm Kelly. And I'm June. We wanted to open today's show by mentioning two things that we're really, really grateful for. First, we got a package. Let's roll the tape. I'm going to pull the box cutter. Pato. Definitely need some excitement music. Go ahead. Uh, headphones. Little pads for your ears so it doesn't squeeze your ears. Cool. That's right, June is the proud owner of her own set of studio headphones, also known as closet headphones in these times. Thank you, Obi. (laughs) Thank you to Obi, a.k.a. my dad. Next, we wanted to give a huge shout-out to Suzanne Frankie, who honored us with a big donation to the podcast. It's really amazing. It's going to help us with all kinds of things technology to record better sound at a safe distance, being able to pay top-notch producers from around the world for stories about helpers that you're not going to hear anywhere else. To express our gratitude, stay tuned after the credits for an original thank you song, composed for Suzanne, performed by June. So we mentioned last time that our podcast was moving to just dropping on Tuesdays. And that's in part so that we can have time to rest and take care of our mental health. Because even if, like us, you're lucky enough to stay at home and work from home, the pandemic can still affect you mentally and emotionally. And you're not alone. The feelings that you might be having of exhaustion, loneliness, anxiety, depression, those are completely valid feelings and a direct result of what the whole world is going through. It's called a shared trauma. That's what we're going to talk about on today's episode. We interviewed a trauma therapist about the impact COVID-19 is having on everybody's mental health, from frontline workers to kids to people who've lost their jobs, even on therapists themselves. And we'll dig into some helpful coping strategies, too. Just a quick trigger warning. In today's episode, we're talking about really difficult things. If you've experienced trauma before, this episode could be hard to listen to. But we also talk about what we can do to help keep our brains healthy during and after COVID-19. The same event is impacting all of us. Really, it's a shared trauma. And I do expect to see a really significant wave of people needing mental health support and a significant amount of people who have been traumatized by this. That's Dr. Deb Delvecchio-Scully. She's a counselor and trauma specialist who worked with families after the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Deb has a private practice in Branford, Connecticut, and these days she's been seeing her clients online. Deb treats post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic grief, And she also coaches other counselors on how to take care of themselves. What is trauma and how do you know if you've got it? So trauma is a reaction to something that happens that's really scary, frightening. And we think that it's so scary that we might die from it. 
So first thing you need to understand is that it can happen in a blink of an eye. We don't choose it, right? It is really our brain's reaction to a situation when our mind feels like, oh my gosh, this is really overwhelming. This is really bad. This is really scary. And our brain starts to do things to protect us. You think about, like, we all know what stress is when we feel really uncomfortable because there's a lot of pressure, right? A trauma reaction is like the stress response times a million. So all of these reactions are happening in the brain. And um, how do you know if you have it? Well, you know because you really feel different in a really unpleasant way. It's really uncomfortable. You're really scared and you're waiting for something bad to happen, even though everything seems okay in the moment. You might not be able to stop thinking about something that was bad and it keeps kind of popping into your head. That's the hard part about this because we get used to feeling the way that we feel without knowing that it, there's things that could do, we could do to make it feel better and we just kind of get stuck in it. It's like the past stays present. Can you tell me what a trauma therapist does exactly? Huh. Sure, I can. So I've had special training on different ways to help people who have trauma so that I could recognize what the symptoms were. It has a lot to do with the way we hold that memory in the brain, right? So if I asked you what you had for breakfast, you probably could tell me without a problem, right? I had granola and oat milk and frozen mango. Okay, great job. Great breakfast too. Good for your brain. When somebody's traumatized, they don't remember things. So their memories, it's like imagine a giant puzzle that's missing lots of pieces. That's what it's like for people after they've been traumatized. There's missing pieces. And just talking about what happened to them can make them feel really badly, really quickly. And so you know, when we talk about trauma, we talk about triggers. Right? And these are the things that kind of like, you think about it, it's like pushing your button. That's the hot spots around a trauma. But just talking about trying to make them feel better doesn't work. And so it's my job to meet you, to listen to your story, but help you not get triggered, not feel badly when you're telling me. You know, we do a lot of tapping. So I might have you do butterfly tapping when I cross your arms across your chest and you tap. Go ahead, try. Yeah. Yeah, just like that. I think we should just pause the interview for a second and explain what all the tapping is. Totally. Okay, so you cross your arms over your chest like that, so that the tips of your middle fingers are below your collarbones, and your hands should be pointing up towards your neck as much as possible. And then you just go left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. You don't have to go that fast, actually. Yeah. And so you alternate tapping your hands like you're flapping the wings of a butterfly. And you breathe slowly, and you notice what's going on in your mind and your body. Any images or sounds or smells or feelings that you have that just come up. And you don't push them away or judge them. You just sort of let those feelings and thoughts go by like clouds. 
So this exercise is called butterfly taps or butterfly hug, and it's meant to be really soothing. You can do these taps while you're talking about what's bothering you or while you're playing what's bothering you in your head like a movie. The idea is to gently put you in touch with your body, reminding you that you're here, now, calming you down so that you can feel your feelings without letting your feelings overwhelm you. It definitely shouldn't replace sessions with a therapist. But a butterfly hug is a pretty nice way to spend three or four minutes resetting your brain. Okay, back to the interview. What can I do to help my friends if they have trauma? Oh, well, you could be a really good friend by comforting them. You can say, let's do the butterfly hug. So that's one thing you can do. You can just listen. Just listen to them and say to them, why don't we run up and down and see if that makes you feel better? Because lots of times we just need to get it out of our bodies. But one of my favorite things to do, especially with kids, is to shake it out. And that's where we shake our hands and then we dance around and we just move around, right? So there's fun things that you can do and to help you really be a good friend. What gives you hope? Mm, uh, laughter. The smile on your face. I think one of um, the most confusing aspects to this pandemic was by saying social distancing. It's not social distancing, it's physical distancing. So you and I can socialize. You can be at one end of the driveway and I can be 10 feet up and we can socialize, but maintain that physical distance. It's going to be very regulating to both of us. Um, I you know, had clients, I tell them, go have a driveway visit with your best friend. Have her sit on the front porch, you stay on the driveway and just connect in the way that you usually do. Have a cup of coffee together. There's a lot of these drive-by parties that are happening mm -hmm. where the family's out on the front lawn. And I actually did one for my uh, niece's son. We drove, my husband and I drove there and we got a bunch of balloons and we had those hanging out the window, <laughs> but people just kept going by and blowing their horn and waving, just seeing people's expressions, the smiles, the laughter was so deeply calming and regulating. And I can't emphasize that enough, how much we need that. You have to have creative ways to be together in this time. So what kinds of issues specifically are you encountering with clients right now? Are we seeing the same themes come up in lots of different people? Right. So, you know, this message of we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. Well, somewhat. <laughs> sure. We're all in this together very separately and very individually. How? What I've had to deal with is different from what you've had to deal with and, mm -hmm. and so on. And so there's a great deal of anxiety, heightened stress responses to things. I'd say disordered mood versus mood disorders, because I think we're all really quite dysregulated from spending so much time in, in our homes and not really having the normal rhythm of life that we're used to. You might be a little bit more snappish, impatient. Maybe a little bit more frustrated. Your sleep might be interrupted. So interrupted. Oh, my God. <laughs> we are dysregulated because of all the things I've just mentioned, but also because of the increased screen time. Mm. I think that people are just looking for entertainment, something to get them to think about something else other than what they're feeling. So people watching TV more 
or are on social media more, are checking news sites, all of that has a lot to do with the dysregulation, poor sleep, appetite changes, either not eating as much or overeating, comfort foods, looking for the things that are going to make us feel better in that moment. And so that it's like this persistent state of all of us kind of really being dysregulated. And, you know, for predictable reasons, I don't have the option. I, I am online all day long, mm-hmm. you know, performing my job and, and working with my clients. This is definitely not my choice. You know, I, I really focus on the health of the brain in my practice. And it's one of the things that we really talk about is limit your screen time. But we can't do that right now. So you're seeing clients that are on the front lines of this pandemic right now, yeah? Yes, I am. What are some of the kind of mental health issues they're facing? Some of them are being forced to make really difficult decisions. Some of the first responders are making the decision not to live at home, but to stay in you know, at a university dormitory because the levels of exposure they've had, they don't want to risk bringing that home to their family. That fear that I could be exposed and then give that to my loved ones is, is really significant. And everybody has to make their own decision. But, you know, with that, with these really difficult kind of existential um, dilemmas, uh, which is existential trauma is a big piece of more of a communal piece because it changes our worldview. We're seeing life differently. And when we're faced to have to choose these decisions that seem impossible, how do I pick A or B when both are bad? Right. (laughs) So that's one theme. That I said is consistent across all of the frontline people that I've been working with. And how are you supporting them? What approaches are you using to help them work through their trauma? You know, a lot of, I think, very supportive kinds of decision making. What's right for you? What's right for your family? Um, if you say yes to this, what does this mean? If you say no to this, what does this mean? And trying to reason very mindfully. Um, and to kind of let go of the anxiety or the worry mind around us. And when we've got two choices that aren't great, um, how do you choose one that perhaps you can be more at peace with? That you know, you choose this, you're still fulfilling the mission that you've chosen and still serving um, in a way that feels comfortable to you. You know, our frontline medical workers are challenged in unique ways. They are being asked to do things that they've never had to do before. The amount of death, the volume of deaths isn't giving people a chance to process. I think at the end of the day, we have to make peace with the decisions that we make, you know, to try to do our best not to second guess moving forward, that the decision that I made today was the best that I could do with the information that I had. You know, they're the the big stories about the numbers of people who are dying from COVID-19. But we're starting to hear about people who are dying by suicide in response to this shared trauma. How would you help someone who's expressing those thoughts or feelings try to move forward? Well, I think, you know, my role in supporting these frontline workers is the persistent and consistent installation of hope. We will, we will navigate through this. And today, perhaps, the most we can hope for is that I did the best that I could. 
I was able to be present with my family when I came home. Um, I'm going to get a good night's sleep. The tiniest bit of hope, the tiniest bit of light in a dark room will brighten it. So I think we have to look at and see, is what the person is telling me appropriate to the situation that they're in? Is it because of burnout? Are they simply doing too much? Is it simply too many hours? And we need to get them a break. We get, need to get them off the front lines. Or is the risk to their well-being higher than that? And we have to intervene um, in different ways. And what about those who aren't on the front lines? I'm thinking about small business owners or people mm-hmm. that got laid off. or Yeah, well, I'm a small business owner. Right. That's me. <laughs> right. That's me. Um, and it's, it's, they're scary times. I'm confident that we're going to get through this, but it's day by day by day. And it is a bit of survival. What do I need to do today to get through today so I can be here tomorrow? You know, often self-care is talked about, but people talk about that. It's like, oh, I've got a pedicure. I'm going to get a manicure. Yeah, don't go do that right now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not, that's not an option, but nor does that really regulate your central nervous system, or your brain. Our self-care today needs to be focused on regulating the brain, the central nervous system, the mind, and the emotion. And that means you have to do different things. Um, Some of these are um, exercise, cardiovascular exercise, move your body. We always say, move a muscle, change a thought. If you're somebody that's looping in your worries, the best thing that you can do is like a brief burst of activity. Jumping jack. Uh, run up and down the hallway, push-ups, whatever you can do for a few minutes, it's going to change your mindset. You know, exercise is number one, making sure that you're eating well and really good nutrition. Sleep is a big one. And, you know, and normally I tell people limit your screen time, but right now that's not an option. And that makes all of these other things that we do even more important. Finding time for quiet, doing some deep breathing, make sure that you're doing these things for yourself and make it be a primary focus so that it's, it's, not, it's a non-negotiable. We have got to do better in managing our stress. So if I think today's going to be a bad day, probably will be. But if I can start by saying, you know what, today I'm going to do the best that I can. And I come back and I come back and I come back. So right here, right now, our presence is our greatest asset in these times. My question for you, too, as a therapist is like, how do you not be impacted by the collective trauma when you're part of the community that's going through it? But then you're also responsible for keeping the community as hopeful as possible. (laughs) It's not if, but when a mental health therapist is going to be impacted. You, you, you can't prevent it because we're humans. However, there are things that we can do. Um, um, you know, I often, when I work with other therapists and communities, will say to them, we have an ethical and a moral mandate to take care of ourselves, to continue to be there for other people. And so I need the same things that you need. And and understanding that we are all doing the best that we can. This is what I've chosen. Everybody in my field, we've chosen to help others. We understand that sometimes there's sacrifices to that. 
what mental health advice could you offer to our listeners going forward? Because we are probably not coming out of this anytime soon. And, you know, even when there is a vaccine, the effects of this communal trauma are going to last. I think that whatever we can do collectively about the stigma for reaching out for help is probably one of the most powerful things that we can do right now. Know that we're universally impacted and that if you had a broken arm or your daughter had a broken arm, you would have a cast on her arm. You would take care of that appropriately. Our mental and emotional health is the same. And and so one way to think about it is brain health versus um, mental health that has such a stigma. And we want our brains to be working the best possible way that we can. And even at this stage, prior to somebody developing trauma or PTSD, we can be preventative with intervention. So uh, reach out, reach out, reach out. That's first and foremost. So we can make it better today and prevent suffering in the future. If you or someone you know is an essential frontline worker and needs therapy, visit coronavirusonlinetherapy.org. It's a collective of licensed professional practice therapists across the country, and they're offering short-term online therapy to essential workers at reduced rates or even free. They serve doctors, nurses, doulas, hospital clergy, staff members of homeless shelters, truck drivers, postal workers, grocery store employees, news and media folks, EMTs, social workers, and lots more. There are also really helpful links on their site for non-essential workers and those of us who aren't on the front line seeking reduced rate online therapy sessions. Coronavirusonlinetherapy.org slash resources. Thanks for listening to Social Distance Assistance. We'll be back next week with an episode on one of our most favorite things in the whole world. Food! We'll talk about who's helping to grow, pack, deliver, and make food, and the ethics of it all. Oh no! Oh yes! This is my jam! You can laugh at that. That's a food (laughs) pun. You're allowed to. Okay. Oh, yep, I get it now. Thank you. my jam. (laughs) Social Distance Assistance is produced and engineered by June Harkessel-Robinson-Jones, Kelly Jones, and Molly Bourne. It was created and edited by Nate Toby. Gavin Wright makes it all happen. Digital assistance from Angela Messino and the VPM News team. Steve Humble is VPM's chief content officer. Music for this week's episode was by Blue Dot Sessions. If you like what you heard, help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. And now, this is a song for Suzanne. Three, two, one, go. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Suzanne, for listening and the help that you have given to you I sing. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Suzanne. Our enthusiast. Your donation means a lot to our new podcast. Thank you, Suzanne.
members like you. Members are a fundamental part of VPM. Member support is especially vital right now. Through member support, we're able to provide timely and fact-based information, educational resources for our kids, and informative and entertaining content to keep minds active and engaged. Be a part of what makes VPM possible. Visit vpm.org slash donate to become a member today. VPM.